We're going to get into Amos. If you want to flip open your Bibles there. We've been looking at the fact that turning to the Lord changes our hearts toward people. As we turn to the Lord, as we come to him with a heart that has been changed to him, to God, he changes our hearts and how we care about and how we think about other people. This idea of caring about people, about loving people, matters to God. God in the great law, the great commandment, said that we should love God with everything in us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that the second is like unto the first, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. This idea of loving God is directly connected with how we love other people. If you love God truly, you will love other people correctly. And yet sin affects our hearing. When we give in to perpetual and constant sin, when our hearts are turned away from the Lord, we cannot hear him correctly. So the, the prayer is that we would have ears to hear, that our hearts would be open to the Lord so that when he speaks words of truth, when he speaks words of wisdom to us, that we aren't just hearing them on a surface level, but that we are actually hearing the word of God internally and we are taking it in and we are thinking about it and it is changing us and it is uh, sanctifying us. It is making us more like the Lord as we really hear. And this is the great prayer today that we would really hear the Lord. Because the people of Israel were struggling to hear the Lord. They were in a thick spiritual fog. The Lord was speaking and trying to get their attention. And they were going through all sorts of religious duties and doing all sorts of religious activities. And yet they weren't really changed. They weren't really listening to the things of God. They weren't really hearing. Now, here's, here's the problem. Lots of people who aren't hearing God correctly and who are not really being changed and moved by the word of God think that they're listening to God. This is the great dilemma. People say, oh, yes, I've heard God. Absolutely. I've, I've given my life to Christ. I've, I've, I've gone through the steps and I, I know the Lord. Yet there's no change in life. All of, the, all of the thoughts of the heart are still exactly the same. It's all manifested in the way that a person lives. James says you can say you have faith. You can say that you have faith. And listen, there are lots of people who really think that they have faith. This is the problem. There are many people who think that they are hearing when they're actually not hearing. Here's how we can know if we're really hearing the Lord. If we come to the Lord with a contrite spirit that says this, Lord, search me and try me and know my thoughts 
and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me. Lord, you lead me. Lord, I really want to hear you. I really want you to have uh, my attention. God, I want my attention to be yours. I want my gaze to be focused on you. I want to look at your face, and I really want to know you. Lord, help me. So a person who is hearing the Lord is willing to give up everything to the Lord. This is where we sing the song, I Surrender All. And we know that in practice we really aren't surrendering all because we're dealing with sin for the rest of our life. But that's our heart. Lord, I surrender all. Lord, I, I give it all to you. And we come to him and we say, Lord, you can have me. You can take me where you want. You can speak to me. You can correct me. You can guide me. Lord, whatever it is you want, because I'm listening to your voice now. Lord, you have my attention, God. You have my attention. And Lord, I'm willing to really listen. It's not just, yes, 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 Lord, I'm, I'm hearing. I'm hearing, but the person isn't really hearing. And so Israel is hearing God, but they're not really hearing God. And this is why in chapters 3, if you look with me at Amos chapter 3, it says this. It starts off with, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Notice what chapter 4 begins with. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. What a nice way to talk about ladies. That's what it's saying. How about chapter 5? Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation. So the Lord wants Israel to hear. He wants them to really He wants them to really get it. He wants them to really listen to what he's saying. And unfortunately they're not, but he's speaking Anyway, he is pleading with them to really listen. So he says, I'm going to come in judgment. I'm going to come in judgment because you are not listening to me. You are going on this path of oppressing the poor. You oppress the righteous. You afflict the righteous. You do not do what is righteous. You do not listen to the truth. You do not care. And as a result of just living your life any way that you want to live it. Oh, that God would seal this to our hearts today. You continue to live the life over and over and over again with absolutely no change. God finally comes and says, listen, I, I want you to hear. I want you to hear this clearly. I'm going to bring judgment. And then he summons some of the nations around them to be a witness. He says, I want you to witness the sins of Israel, and I want you to witness what I'm going to do to them because it is true, and it is just, and it is righteous. Notice verse 9 of chapter 3. 
So he is assembling these witnesses against Israel. And he says, proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt. And say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumult within her. That is within Israel. He's saying, come from these different places and witness what is going on. And the oppressed in her midst. Notice what is going on in Israel. Watch and learn, he is saying to these other nations. I want you to be a witness uh, to what I am going to do. Now he says this, verse 10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. What an indictment. They don't know how to do what's right. He's saying, I want you to, I want you nations around them, I want you to come and I want you to witness uh, against their sins. I want you to witness about what I'm going to do to them. But I want you to notice here, they don't even know how to do what's right. Now, how's that possible? He's already said that they have disobeyed the law of God, they have the written word of God. They have commandment after commandment, precept after precept. They have this given to them in the writing of Scripture. And yet he says they don't know how to do what's right. Well, all they have to do is pick up the Bible and begin to read it. And they've probably heard it. They've heard the priests teach and the different teachers of the law give the law of God, but... For some reason, it's not registering. They're hearing the word. They're listening. They have it, but yet they do not know how to do what's right. How do they not know how to do what's right? This is what God is saying. He's saying because they've heard it, they've listened to it, and they know it, but listen, their heart isn't changed. That's why they don't know how to do what's right. Because they keep going back to the same thing over and over and over and over again, they keep going back to the same thing. How can they continue to do that? Because you can hear this. We can read this. We can go verse after verse, chapter after chapter in the church. We can do all sorts of different programs. We can read the Bible in our home, which we should be doing. We should be doing all these different things. But until our heart is changed, we just don't know how to do what's right. It's possible to sit down with somebody and go over and the different commandments of Scripture and memorize all sorts of verses. But God says, listen, that's not what I'm after. I want you to do those things. Yes, I want you to know it all up here, but I want it, I want it to sink down into your heart so that you really get it, so that you know, not just everyone else knows, that you know that you are a person after my own heart. That you can say, I have heard the voice of God and he has changed my heart. And, and now even though things are not all right in my life, I continue to follow after him because I, I know what is right, because his law, the law of God, according to Jeremiah, the law of God has been written on my heart. And so here's this pleading. It's like the pleading with a wayward child. Will you listen? 
Will you listen? Will you, will you hear the word of God? Will you, will you stop and, and actually open up your heart to the things that God is actually speaking? Will you take this and digest it? Will you really think about it? That's what God is saying. He's saying, I've come and I've spoken clearly, and yet they're not listening. Israel is not listening. They are storing up for themselves destruction. Notice verse 11. Therefore says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land. This would happen, oh, just about 40 years later, 722 B.C., as Assyria would come thundering into Israel and take them away captive. An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. And then he gives a very vivid description of what this destruction is going to look like, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. So he's saying when a sheep is pulled from a lion's mouth, you get a part of an ear, you get a part of a leg. It's a mess. And God is saying this is how Israel is going to be destroyed. If you imagine a lion's mouth and you have a corner of a bed or a piece of a couch, that's how utterly destroyed Israel is going to be. And he's saying judgment is coming. And the point here in the text is that judgment is coming from the Lord. He says this over and over again. It's from the Lord. It's me speaking. Thus declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. This is your captain speaking. This is him. This is I. It's I who is, who is doing all of this. We get to the point in our nation where we go, look at all this bad stuff that's happening all around Look at the darkness that's going on. Wow, Mother Nature sure is really upset this year. Father Time is really doing a number on, on people. Look at uh, people growing old and look at all the things that are going on in nature and so on and so forth. And the Lord is saying, wake up. It's not just um, Father Time and it's not just Mother Nature who's doing these things, but there is a sovereign God. He's saying, it is I who is doing this. Jump back to verse 6 of chapter 3. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city? Here it is. Unless the Lord has done it. It's the Lord doing it. So he says this in verse 13, same chapter here, and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will Punish the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. These people had money. Many of them not only had a nice residence uh, that they lived in full time, but they also had a nice vacation house. It's amazing in excavations, they've actually found houses that uh, had ivory paneling. They have dug these things up. And the Lord is saying, okay, you've got all this money. You've got all this uh, stuff going for you, but I'm going to bring it all down. I'm going to destroy this because you will not hear from me. Your society, listen, 
your society is thoroughly corrupt. And when all of this tragedy begins to happen, don't just think it's the weather patterns. Well, it's just the weather patterns. It's just the way things are. It's just global warming or whatever else people say. It's just these different things that are just naturally happen, happening. The Lord says, oh, no, it's not just happening like that. It is I, the Lord, who is sending this so that I can get your attention. I can get your attention. I want your attention. I want you to know me and I want you to hear me so that you don't just continue to trudge through life and say, wow, these are just really difficult economic times. These are just tough times in the weather and tough times at school and all these different things. The Lord comes and says, no, no, I am sending all of these things. I'm the one sending them. I'm the one sending them. What a foreign concept to our ears. Oh, it can't be the Lord. Now, the Lord says over and over again in this book, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's I, the Lord. And yet we're just like the Israelites where we go, well, that must not really be the Lord. It must, there must be some other explanation for what is going on. There's got to be something else going on here. And the Lord says, no, no, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get your attention so that you really hear me. He says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish, verse 15. And the great houses shall come to an end. Then he has a very specific word for certain wives, for certain ladies. Amos calls them the cows of Bashan. Interesting terminology. But Bashan was a fertile area in northern Israel. There were well-to-do families with lots of money who lived there. And there were very well-to-do women who had lots of money and lots of time. Now, I have... I've not watched uh, these, uh, this, these shows, the, the Housewives of This or the Housewives of That. But from the, the little bit that I have seen from, whether it's commercials or, or what have you, it would be very similar to what is going on here in Chapter 4. You have well-to-do women who have very wealthy husbands who really don't have a lot to do but spend time gossiping, spending time in wives' tale, wives' tales, spending time only thinking about material things. So he says this to these ladies. He says, hear this, this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. You oppress the poor. So these ladies, instead of, instead of taking care of the poor, Instead of helping the poor, these ladies are interested in oppressing the poor. I remember a, a, a couple of uh, uh, different ladies that I greatly respect, and I, I don't know them. One of them was my great-grandmother, who I never met, but she was a pastor's wife in the Lutheran church. And there are family stories about her that 
when the homeless would come around, she would take them in and she would feed them. And she would even let them clean off and hose off in her yard. And then she would bring them in and she would, she would assist them and feed them and help them and then send them on their way. And recently I was, I was talking to someone who said that there was a lady over in Ashley who had her house marked in such a way that homeless people knew that they could actually knock on the door of this woman's house because she would feed them lunch. And somebody was, they were trying to figure out how did all these homeless people know that they could go to this house and she would feed them? Well, somehow the, the homeless had secretly marked her house. So they all knew it was okay. You can go get a ham sandwich over here. But this is, this is the direct opposite of what is going on here in Israel at this time. Instead of helping the poor, which is what uh, Proverbs 31 talks about, the, the godly, the righteous woman who, who lends to the poor, who gives to the poor, who is... In fact, let's flip there. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. <clears throat> This is, this is talking about the, the excellent wife here in Proverbs 31. But notice, we won't go through all of this, but notice verse 20 of Proverbs 31, verse 20. She opens her hands to the what? To the poor. And she reaches out her hands to the, to the needy. So this is the exact opposite of what is going on here. These ladies in Amos chapter 4, they oppress the poor, they crush the needy. Why? Because they're self-involved. Notice what they say to their husbands. You say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Bring us, bring us more drink. This is not just, this isn't talking about Pepsi or 7-Up. Or this is talking about alcohol. Bring that we may drink. So they're oppressing the poor. They're crushing the needy. They're at their husbands saying, bring us that we may have more and more. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. Even when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Assyria would come, and by the way, there are, are pictures of people in a line, captives in a line with hooks through their mouth as they are being led. One person, almost like a chain gang, one person after another being led away in captivity. And he's saying, you ladies, you, you men, you rich people in Samaria who are oppressing the poor, mistreating the needy, there's coming a day when your summer houses are going to be demolished your vacations are going to become a thing of the past. All of your desire for material things, material wealth, there's going to come a day when you're going to have hooks put through you and you're going to be led away literally captive by Assyria. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one of you straight ahead, and shall be cast out into Harmon. We're not exactly sure where Harmon is. And then the Lord gets sarcastic here in verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress. 
Now, the Lord really doesn't want people to sin, but Bethel means house of God. It was a special place where Jacob, if you remember Jacob in the Old Testament, had this dream and angels were ascending and descending. And Jeroboam I, many years later, had set up this golden calf for Israel to worship in Bethel. So this special place where Jacob had this wonderful encounter with the Lord had now just become a shrine. It was just like, hey, yeah, Jacob, remember him? He had this he had this dream here, and now we're setting up this golden calf in Israel so that people can come and worship to this false god. And God is saying, come on over to Bethel. This is what you want. You want just ritual, and you want to just go through the motions. You want to just burn incense and bring candles. You want to just go into church and just go through the church routine week after week after week. That's what you want. Come and transgress at Bethel. Gilgal was another place in Israel, special place in Israel's history. If you remember when Israel crossed the Jordan with Joshua into the promised land, they set up an altar here at Gilgal. So it was a special place of worship before the Lord. And it had also been turned into a place of apostasy and sin. And God says, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. You can bring your sacrifices, bring your money, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. Let everybody know what you're giving. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. He's saying, you want, you want to go through the routine? Go ahead. You want to bring your tithes and offerings? You want everyone to know how much you've given? Fine, publish it. Let everybody no, make a big scene about this. Make sure you go through the whole ritual and rigmarole of religious activity. Just keep going through it. Keep going through it. You can hear anguish in God the Father's heart as he's saying this. See, he's, he's, he's not being mean here. He's saying, is this really what you want? Is this really what you want? You want church with no power? You want a life with no change? Just want to live life and just stay the same? No power? No word of God? No depth of worship? Let's just all sing superficial songs that we can only do for so long because we lose energy. And after a while of losing energy, we get tired of singing these songs. And then we say, well, the Spirit of God wasn't there when really it was us. It was our hard hearts. It was our lack of listening to the Lord. He said, if that's what you want, now to show God's love, he says over and over again, listen, I sent discipline in your life, Israel. I sent discipline in your life that you were to recognize over and over again I loved you. That's what he's telling Israel. I loved you. I sent discipline into your life as a father would discipline his children. I sent discipline into your life so that you would return to me. That's what God is saying. I'm not just being sarcastic just as a scorned person would say, a scorned father. But I'm saying this as somebody who really loves you and has called you over and over again. And I've sent things into your life that you should have recognized were from me and were actually meant to turn you. Are you in a miserable situation? 
Are you going through something right now? And you're, instead of turning toward God, you're turning away from God. Could it be that God is using that situation in your life to drop you to your knees so that you begin to cry out to God and say, help, have mercy? Could it be that the darkness in our nation and the darkness in our city and all sorts of different personal problems that come into our lives, could it be from the Lord? Could it be? Or is the Lord just saying, just go off into your sin and just go off your way because you'll, you'll have it better if you do that. No, no. No, no, he's saying, he's saying, look, going through a hard time? Going through a hard time in life? Have you had a hard life? Could it be? Could it be that that's the Lord behind it all? That that's the loving care of a father saying, I'm using these things, I'm sending these things into your life so that you would turn to me with your whole heart. You say, well, that's not what God would do. Well, let's keep reading. Notice chapter 4, verse 6. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That means empty stomachs. God says, I, I gave you a lack of bread in all your places. Yet, here it is, yet you did not return to me. Notice verse 8. Um, verse 8, you would wander to another city to drink water and you would not be satisfied. Notice what it says here. But you did not return to me. Verse 9, I struck you, I struck you with blight and mildew and your many gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me. Verse 10, I sent among you pestilence. Notice the end of verse 10. Yet you did not return to me. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, end of verse 11. Yet you did not return to me. I sent this. I did this. I sent these things into your life over and over and over again. God, when were you at work in my life? When were you at work when I sent that hardship into your life? Lord, I thought you only worked through the easy times, and it's all about just peace and things not going wrong. And God is saying, no, no, I sent this into your life to bring you to me. And I also sent this into your life to bring you to me. And I also sent this in your life to bring you to me. And I sent this in your life, and this in your life, and this in your life. Are you listening? Listening. Are you listening? Yet you would not return to me. I remember my first pet was a dog named Mitchell. It was a surprise for my grandfather when I was just a little fella. He was so tiny that he could put his head in a cup. He was a little furry thing. It was a surprise to the great delight of my parents. Surprise, I bought you a dog. 
But Mitchell loved running away. As soon as that door was open, we I loved him, you know, as a little fella. And there were times he'd run away and we'd have to go find him and knock on doors and post notes and all that stuff, and we'd always get Mitchell back. But as much as I loved Mitchell, Mitchell loved to run away. Yet you did not return to me. And I, I remember as he got older, got to the point where he was making messes in the house more and more, and it was getting to be a, to the point of where it just was not working out. And so my father and I had to take the long drive with Mitchell to give him away to the SPCA or whatever they called it. I heard an old lady on a farm got him, so it all ended very well. No clue. But I do remember that drive. And we ended up giving him away and that was that was the end of Mitchell. But as soon as that door would open, he would dart. And as soon as that door was open, Israel would dart. And God is saying, you want to keep going out there, Israel? That what you want? It's darkness and it's uh, devastation. And judgment is coming. Therefore, verse 12, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, the Lord knows what we're even thinking. Who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Then we'll finish up here with the first few verses of chapter 5. Now the Lord, he's told them to hear about the coming devastation of judgment in chapter 3. He's told them to hear about their obstinance in chapter 4. Now he wants them to hear his sorrow of missing the Lord in chapter 5. He says this, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. This is a dirge. This is, this is like a song over somebody who has died. The first couple of verses are the Lord through the prophet Amos singing a dirge over Israel. Israel has died. They haven't died yet, but that's what's going on here. It's like the Lord prophetically, he's looking forward to the future. He says this, fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand. They used to have a thousand soldiers that would go out from that little city. Now they only have a hundred left. And that which went out a hundred, they shall only have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Here it is. 
Seek me and live. Do not go to Bethel. Do not go to that place in Israel where that calf was set up. Do not enter into Gilgal where Joshua had set up that altar to the Lord years ago and now it has become a place of obstinate worship. And do not cross over. Here's a place actually in the southern kingdom. Those first two places are in the northern kingdom, Bethel, Gilgal. Now he's talking about somewhere in the southern kingdom still. He's saying don't cross over from the northern kingdom into Beersheba. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all had experiences with Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel, the house of the Lord, shall come to nothing. He tells us, while we still have breath, he says, turn. Seek me and live. Seek me, God, and live. Those who trust the Lord will never be put to shame. Never. Think about the death of the saints down through the years. They're with the Lord. They sought the Lord while they were alive. You only have one chance to seek the Lord, and that's while you're living. And all those precious saints, as they grow older, and then they fade away and they die, they're in the presence of the Lord. And their life was not in vain. But those who say to the Lord, I'm not going to hear you. Hear this, O Israel. Hear this, O Israel. Hear this, O Israel. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, all beginning with hear. Hear, hear, hear. That God would give us ears to hear. Ears to hear what he's saying. That he would turn our hearts in such a way that we would say, I have heard the Lord. Amen? I have heard the Lord. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, as we come to you today, We thank you for your powerful word. Now we think of Israel just they wouldn't listen. And Lord, destruction ended up coming, and yet your heart, your heart is for us while we have breath to turn. To turn. Instead of the band coming today, well...